for great-looking T-shirts, hoodies, and sweatshirts. The TNT Shop is now open at TNTradio.live. Limit Opic. This is the Limit Opic Show on today's News Talk TNT Radio. Good morning, one and all. It is four minutes past seven, Greenwich Mean Time, meaning it's 11 hours later in Melbourne and, Bris- and Sydney, a little bit earlier in Brisbane and Perth. Wherever you are in the world, you're welcome to the home of free speech. That's TNT Radio with me, Len Bitopic, in this hour, packed as usual. Uh, we'll be talking to Gemma Cooper about the things that she's seen which you need to know about from the news. Uh, then we're going to zip across to India uh, with a bit of luck to talk to Sanat Kal, who is actually chair of the International Foundation for Aviation and Drones, about the Indians' take on COP28. I'll be coming back to that in just a moment. And whether it's really reasonable for the first world, which made its wealth with fossil fuels to tell the rest of the world not to do the same thing. <laughs> the irony seems to be completely missed on the 70,000 people who flew to the UAE for a conference which is telling us not to fly. Uh, then we're going to have a look at the UK economy. It seems to be falling apart as far as I can see. Marcus Blaze, who is uh, Clients Director for wealth management uh, company uh, will join us to give us his professional view about whether the country is indeed imploding and if so what can we do about it and then here's one which you've just got to hear about emma hardy who is a concerned mum and a campaigner is concerned about what you might call gender fluid changing rooms let me interpret that for you men who say they're women being allowed to go into women's changing room but there are females and female children getting changed. What is happening to the United Kingdom? She's going to tell us all about that and her campaign as well. Uh, That's true. You heard me right. If I say I'm a woman, I can go into a female changing room in at least one large gym chain. I'm not too comfortable about that. If you're a parent, you probably aren't either. Uh, All of that coming up with me. I want to talk about two stories before we go to Gemma. Uh, Couples devastated by migration visa rule changes is one story. Well, Britain's trying to clamp down on migration. But boy, what a great way to do it. To stop the high value people who are actually contributing to our economy and aren't coming across in small boats. They're apparently in the firing line now. You have to earn at least £38,500. That's about what 75,000 Australian dollars a year before you're allowed to come here, unless you come on your own. And then you don't actually have to. Uh, then, then you're not allowed to bring your partner, your significant, significant other. This is an amazing scheme. Britain is meant to be the home of inward investment, the place to bring your big business. But now, unless you're fairly loaded to start with, you can't come here to build the wealth of the nation. I think they slightly missed the point here. Yeah, they got three quarters of a million people coming in here last year. That's because they've completely messed up the entire migration system, uh, just stopping pretty hardworking, high value people coming here who come here legally from bringing their partners may not be the smartest thing to do. We'll try and come back to that later on in the week. Uh, but perhaps my favorite story today is another one from one of the old legacy some people in tnt radio call them the lamestream media cop 28 is the world about to promise to ditch fossil fuels on my old friend justin rowlett who's a climate editor apparently he's editing the climate now uh, is suggesting that the world is about to do a historic deal so that we don't use fossil fuels anymore how did he get to dubai did he walk I don't think so. And although there was this great fanfare when one single Virgin Atlantic aircraft flew from the United Kingdom to America on some kind of biofuel, there simply isn't enough to get around. 
another classic example of double standards. And let me assure you, Justin, the world is not about to ditch fossil fuels. I took a quick look. We're actually using more now than we've ever done before. So whatever you think is going on, it's happening in your head, mate. It's not happening on planet Earth, nor should it, because we haven't got a climate crisis. And if you actually bothered to understand the true science here, you'd know that human beings don't generate enough CO2 to make a, a substantial or even a measurable difference. And nor will we ever do so. We simply can't do it. But of course, this pays the salaries of lots of climate editors who go around wringing their hands, telling us to be more frugal while doing jollies all around the world. It's the hypocrisy that sticks in my throat. Sure, if you want to live in a cave, as the <laughs> president of COP28 said, though he seems to have retracted that a bit now, you go ahead and do it, but don't impose your stoic, obsessive, fundamentalist uh, catastrophism on the rest of the human race. Give the rest of the human race a chance to have the same standard of living that you've got, that I've got in the first world, which was built on coal and oil. That's my view. Of course, if you've got a different view or if you want to agree, go to tntradio.live, express your opinions there. And Justin, you can have the right to reply if you can spare a moment uh, during your jolly in the UAE. Coming up next, uh, we've got uh, Gemma Cooper with her own unique brand of persuasion, I think, and also points of view. Uh, maybe, perhaps, might be talking about the mainstream media as well today. All of that with me, Len Topic here on TNT Radio. The latest headlines waiting for you. I follow the news pretty much throughout the day. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Gemma, good morning. I wish I was good in the morning. UAE. I want to tell them all this face to face, but you know what they do? They walk off and they go, yeah, 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 because they don't really like the truth. Uh, to quote Jack Nicholson, a few good men, they can't handle the truth. And that's probably because they know they're hypocrites. But that's probably not what you wanted to talk about, Gemma. Well, also, it kind of links in in a way because, you know, so much of what we're hearing about, you know, the climate and global boiling, it is, of course, propaganda uh, to steer us down a certain way of behaving while everybody else, uh, just like the last three and a half years, they tell us to do one thing and they're all behind closed doors doing another. Um, not only have they flown to Dubai and the UAE, they they are doing deals for oil and gas, behind the, you know, oil behind the scenes. So it's do as we say, not as we do, just like uh, politicians in the UK, it's coming out in the COVID inquiry, you know, or party gate, do as we say, not as we do, you're nothing, we, we, we rule the world and that's it. So it's all propaganda, which links into, you know, how do you spread propaganda? Well, obviously the mainstream media has played such a huge role in that over the last, not just three and a half years of the scandemic, but previous to that climate was a, a big, big thing. And, um, you know, the BBC coming out way before uh, 2020 about climate saying, you know, the science is settled and this is how we're going to deal and tackle editorially with the issue of climate change. Well, the BBC is under fire again this week. I wasn't really going to bring this to the table, but this story caught my eye this morning and I thought, no, no, no. There's been so much going around about the licence fee uh, and politicians saying that, you know, the £15 increase that the BBC wants is way too high given the cost of living and they want to make it more realistic and the BBC needs to cut its cloth. The BBC, understandably, is really on the ropes now and it knows it. Um, so it said, uh, it, it claimed if it went to a subscription service, which is what a lot of politicians are saying it should be, it would have to jump from £157, which it currently is the tax on the UK public, and you're in trouble if you don't pay it. Um, it would go from 157 to 400 a year as a subscription service to provide the same level of service. Now, some industry insiders who work for the streaming services, uh, they haven't been named, but they've come out, you know, against this fact and they've questioned it uh, and said, hang on a minute, you do everything you can 
at the moment you provide all these channels all these radio stations you know for 157 pounds where did you get this figure of 400 quid a year you know given that netflix is at currently 10 pounds 99 a month um and it's the acting chair of the bbc you remember the other chair had to be removed because he wasn't particularly impartial and he'd given boris johnson a nice big loan and all of that kind of stuff so we've now got an acting chair and she said it's to you know provide the same level of services and a comparison of services and another industry insider said well this is a completely unfair comparison because quite rightly you can cancel streaming services at any time and you don't face being hauled into the criminal courts here in the uk and you don't face a prison sentence. Now, people are still going to prison for non-payment of the license fee. I saw a report out a few weeks ago that said 1,700 people over the last year have gone to prison. Didn't say for how long, probably, you know, maybe a week or two, but to, to, to you know, to be set an example of not paying this, 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 you know, just to watch television, you can still go to prison for not paying it. Um, Director General of the BBC, uh, Tim Davey, has said, uh, this is the most funniest thing of all, that the BBC's public service mission would change if it became a subscription service i mean public service mission the last three and a half years of telling us all to stay inside and have an experimental medical procedure that's not public service that's propaganda we all know that what's interesting is the number of people now on x calling for people to stop paying their license fee it's not just the odd campaign group like defund the bbc there's all sorts of authors writers journalists very credible people who actually have got jobs in the mainstream media calling for the bbc to be scrapped the license fee said so the only language the bbc understands is if people stop in their droves now paying which i think a lot of people are um, and then it will really have to look at its so-called public service mission, its mission to educate, uh, uh, inform, entertain. I think it lost that years ago. Um, so yeah, the BBC in its in its entirety, I think, is is really in the last gasps of of uh, what it was originally designed to do. And in a way, you know, I'm former BBC. It is quite sad <laughs> when it first started in the 1930s and 40s. You know, and some of the great uh, programming we had coming out of it. You know, it's it's lost its way completely, especially the last three and a half years. I think by design, this is probably the the whole reason the BBC was put into place to be the civil service a broadcasting arm and propaganda arm. And it's a shame that you know it's ending in such a kind of uh, depressing way but it's brought it entirely upon itself i think we can all agree with that let me read to you the bbc's mission Gemma. the mission of the bbc is to act in the public interest serving all audiences through the provision of impartial high quality distinctive output where's the impartiality where's it gone this idiotic obsession with a non-existent climate emergency where you actually get the BBC proudly announcing that they're not going to provide balance on the story. So their form of uh, reporting is to report the wrong side, the scientifically idiotic side. And then, of course, as you say, with COVID, the thing that really, really bothers me there is we had a very, very senior BBC presenter, the most senior newscaster, telling us to lock down and follow the rules when he was trying to break them. And when you've got the state-sponsored uh, station doing that kind of thing, it's no surprise that a lot of people, and it may be a majority now, get their news in uh, social media and in online ways. And maybe, Gemma, that's why the BBC wants to sneak in there, because they know that they're losing the plot and they want to post rationally justify it. What do you think, though, they mean when they say that 
the terms of their charter essentially will change or their mission? Well, I think I I don't really kind of understand how we can even say that because the the charter mission has changed no impartiality whatsoever. Um, and he's saying we would have to scrap a lot of services, like for example, if you went subscription, you would cut local news. That's where I was working before I left. Um, because you know, in a subscription service, are people really going to log on to find out what's or, or pay to find out what's going on in an area of the world that they? don't live in and have no connection to. So things like that, children's services, some some more public service orientated programming, he seems to think. I don't really know what that means either. It's all very vague. Um, but interestingly, what a group of newspaper editors around the UK, all the local newspaper groups have lobbied together this very week uh, because the BBC in the regions wants to go out in, in terms of digital. It's already decimated its local radio stations, which you could argue with the heart of the community. Mm. It's pretty much you know, turn them into just some kind of generic every man station. It's, they've lost all their sort of localness um, and they want to go into the digital platforms. And what local newspaper bosses are saying is that will put us out of business because we have to compete. We're commercial companies. Yours funded by the government. You've got all this money behind you. We can't compete with you if you take your regional services completely down the digital route. So it wants to dominate. It absolutely wants to dominate the, the kind of mouthpiece of local journalism, national journalism. But the trouble is people don't want to hear it anymore. People have had enough. The last three and a half years having it rammed down our throats and now with the climate as well, people have had enough. And I think it's probably worth looking at defund the BBC's figures now about how many people aren't paying, even with the risk of courts and prison, how many people really aren't paying their licence fee. You know, there's a newspaper called The County Times. I had a mercurial relationship with them when I was an MP. Do you know what they didn't do? They didn't send somebody in business class to Dubai to report on why we shouldn't be flying. <laughs> the local local papers and local commercial stations can't afford to do that kind of thing. But the BBC can. Why do they have a travel programme? I've asked this many times. No one in the BBC has replied. Why tell us not to fly, but then have a travel show? They're not even consistent with their own inconsistency anymore. <laughs> uh, I do think mm -hmm. that they've got a lot of problems now coming up. But uh, I mean, because they've, they've made a lot of enemies in the, in the current government. Yeah. And also, you know, just going back to that uh, blatant hypocrisy, which is what winds people up, you know, it's like the Panorama program that flew its chief reporter to various locations around the world asking why aren't people adhering to the green agenda? <laughs> you know, he went, he didn't just go to one or two places. I think he went to about seven or eight and that caused massive headlines here in the UK because, of course, he did it on our money. Um, flying around the world saying, oh, well, people aren't being green enough, not just him, his production company, his cameraman, you know, all of that kind of stuff. The BBC is behaving in the way that world leaders are behaving and thinking it can get away with it. Um, absolutely. So many people now calling it out on, on social media. And we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the mistakes that the mainstream has made. But TNT is garnering support by the day. We're breaking huge stories like the New Zealand uh, whistleblower, the data people guy um we're breaking stories that the mainstream should be breaking and we're we're filling that gap and that that can only be something we can all be grateful for and the listeners can be grateful for because we are we are the new we're building this new society mm. that we all want to see uh, and the the lamestream is dying and this today you know the streaming service is saying don't be ridiculous you know that you can't compare yourself to us we will operate in a completely different way and 400 pounds a year to become a streaming service is an absolute joke and i think a lot of people will agree with that
well said and uh i guess it's incumbent on us to become the mainstream to replace the lamestream and congratulations to all listeners and viewers who've decided the same uh what you're going to get here is facts as best we can establish them opinions but we just, just we clearly label them as opinions and give you your space to reply if you want to say something about what you've heard go to tntradio.live uh, you can join the chat there and there's phone numbers there as well if you want to call in coming up next we're going to go to india and talk about cop 28 and this very hypocrisy when the first world tells the rest of the world not to do what they did. All of that with me, Len Topic here on TNT Radio. TNT Radio's James Freeman. We have new revised figures from the Office for National Statistics showing that legal, that's not illegal, that's legal, net migration to the UK has witnessed one of the largest increases on record. Three quarters of a million additional people are now living in the UK in the space of just one year. A huge number that comes just three years after we left the European Union. Now, I didn't vote for Brexit um, because of immigration. I voted because of democracy, but millions did vote because they think too many people are coming into the country, which makes what the government has allowed to happen an absolute two fingers up to the people and democracy. Another example, if we needed another, of how the government does the exact opposite to what the people want and vote for. The Freeman Report and James Freeman on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. approved a no-knock breach. We want the subject to be on display, doing the walk of shame, full visual impact. Any questions? Are we becoming a police state? Government told American citizens they couldn't go to church on Sunday. For the first time in my life, I'm saying to myself, am I going to get a knock at the door? FBI warrant, come to the door now! The Patriot Act and FISA were used against Donald Trump. These individuals have commissioned the biggest propaganda play in U.S. history. They don't go after the people that rigged the election. They go after the people that want to find out what the hell happened. We don't need to have a crime. What we need is a person to look at, and then we go find out what crime you did. FBI! Our focus is shifting. Our main priority as a bureau is gonna be domestic terrorism. It really paints anybody who's right of center. If you're a pro-life, pro-family Catholic, they define you as radical. These are anti-government. We have freedom of religion and freedom of speech. Violent extremists, and they must be dealt with. We can do anything we want. The net zero con will leave millions of citizens dependent on state handouts. It isn't a theory. It's an agenda. There is no climate emergency. On air 24-7. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Greetings. 23 minutes past seven, Greenwich Mean Time. Uh, that means it's mid-evening in Melbourne and Sydney, a little bit earlier in Perth and nighttime in America. Wherever you're watching, thank you for joining us. Uh, coming on the show in a moment, we'll be talking about COP28, the environmental scam conference in Dubai. Uh, and we'll get the Indian perspective on that. Uh, later on, we're going to be talking about the collapsing UK economy. Uh, I want to read a few comments. Uh, Mogden says about trying to get into the country. Uh, it's hard unless you come over on a rubber boat and throw your documents in the English 
English Channel. That does seem to be one way you can get in and stay for quite a long time as well. Uh, then there's a lot of chat about uh, the TV license. And uh, somebody says, and I'm very pleased to hear this, uh, I'd rather pay... Uh, <laughs> Uh, I'd rather pay TNT than the BBC. Thank you for that, Holly. I really appreciate it. And uh, uh, if you carry on down the, the list, you'll see lots of uh, of information going on there. Uh, do join tntradio.live if you'd like to get involved in the chat. I want to talk now to Sanat Kal. He's the chair of the International Foundation for Aviation and Drones, uh, who's joining us from India. Uh, good afternoon to you, Sanat. Thanks for joining us on TNT Radio. Thank you very much. Good afternoon to you too, Lambert. Uh, it's great to talk with you. I wanted to talk with you about COP28, the environmental conference in Dubai. And the reason I want to talk to you about it is there seems a contradiction here, a hypocrisy. The first world, which has built its wealth on fossil fuels, is telling the second and third world not to do the same thing. What's your take on what's being said there with headlines like, is the world about to promise to ditch fossil fuels? I don't think it is. What's your view? Well, uh, you know, the this controversy which you mentioned has been going on and the issue of, you know, the polluter pays goes on. Anyhow, India was refusing to, you know, or reluctant to, you know, do something. They wanted funds, but now they've accepted that. Now, what's happened is of late, especially after the COVID-19, uh, India's uh, CO2 emissions have gone up because India had to do more of uh, energy of electricity and electricity in India is largely produced by coal. So the coal consumption has gone up and that's where the criticism against India is. Although India as a total portion of CO2, India's emissions are very little, uh, but India's you know, per capita uh, per capita wise is very low, but otherwise as a collective thing, because it's 1.4 billion people, it's quite high. Now the issue is India says, okay, you talk about that. What about other pollutants like fossil fuels? Now, fossil fuels for the last three decades since COP started, they have not touched because many, many countries, both the Western countries as well as the Gulf countries, the producers of oil don't like it. Mm. So India is saying, <laughs> okay, you want to talk about CO2 emissions? Bring in fossil fuels also, elimination of complete elimination of fossil fuels too. Maybe over a longer term, but do it. And that's what last 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 COP they agreed, but did not put it in. This time there's a greater agitation, and we are expecting that in the final uh, COP28 uh, statement, fossil fuels will be included, coal plus oil plus petroleum products, etc. That's what is, is, is our expectation. But I don't see how India, and for that matter, China, which makes most of what we buy these days, can possibly aspire to the same standard of living that I see around me here in the UK without depending on fossil fuels. How can India improve its standard of living for over a billion people without using coal? Okay, India has committed itself. In fact, I think the chair of the International Solar Alliance India is going in in a big way for solar-based energy, and India has a lot of uh, sunlight, so it's possible. But it takes time; it's expensive. Uh, but I think India's growth is probably one of the fastest in solar energy now. So solar and other alternate uh, sources, which are not, uh, uh, which do not uh, give out carbon dioxide. So that's what's happening. Uh, but uh, 
the fossil fuels, which are used mainly petroleum uh, products, uh, oil, petrol, diesel, these are the ones which are not being included as yet. Now, electric cars are going to change the scene. In India, also now, electric cars are coming in, produced locally. And uh, that's where we expect a big change. I mean, Delhi just announced, the state of Delhi, the, the city of Delhi just announced that by, I think, another year or so, all buses will be running on electric. Uh, they will they'll run on, they will not run on, at present they are running on CNG, uh, compressed natural gas, but they will switch. They've already started switching. So another year or so, they'll be running ICD. That's what's happening all over in India. But it'll take time. It's expensive. And therefore, India says, all right, if you are, we are giving up the concept of polluter pays, at least to bring in fossil fuels into this. Do you think that this is just another, I don't want to put words in your mouth. In fact, let me just say it. I think this is an example of double standards. Do you think that there's any prospect of the first world having a level playing field with, for example, India, uh, given the fact that so far they've been perfectly, ha perfectly happy to preach about it, but uh, global oil consumption has gone up, not down. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll put it differently. I'll say that, you know, the awareness of uh, CO2 emissions have grown. Public, even in developed world, is concerned. And therefore, and they attempt to bring in, uh, you know, production of energy through alternate means is taking place. So I am not so pessimistic. Yes, there was a lot of deception in the early years when they, for the last 30 decades, uh, 30 years, they have this, uh, they have not put fossil fuels into the COP28, into the, uh, into the COP uh, discussion. They have refused to bring it in. Now, they are probably agreeing to it. It seems that will be brought in, but with no time limit. So the point is that, yes, there is a change coming, but it's very slow and is actually too slow. So, but, but won't the change be that as with the United Kingdom, we shut down our manufacturing, we export it to China, which can do it cheaply because it is using coal <laughs> and oil, and we'll export it to India, which will be using coal and oil. Yeah, so all we've that, done is export that, our CO2. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's true. But the part is that countries like China, China has also done a lot in uh, in using non-fossil fuel energy sources. Uh, so is India doing, but it takes time. It's an expensive process. And converting uh, everything into non-fossil fuels uh, is not that simple. So That's... so it's happening. Well, thank you very much, Sanat. Uh, I think I'm more skeptical about the effect of CO2 than, <laughs> than you are. <laughs> well, the fact well that we, you are right. The, man, the fact that we managed to bring in fossil fuels into the agenda and is being discussed, not very happily after 30 years of negotiations is a breakthrough well and and, and i think in my view a futile one but certainly i'm very grateful for your point of view there and the fact that we both agree that there should be a level playing field between india and for that matter china and the rest of the world at sanat kal who's joining us from india what do you think join us uh our tnt radio.live you can put your answers your views into chats as well spyro gyro says indians need to change their diets though because uh, my co2 goes through the roof after a vindaloo yeah i see what you did there uh spyro gyro it's an old joke but I suppose it's the one that keeps on giving. Coming up next, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, a first world economy, and that's the UK economy. What's going wrong? Uh, what can we do about it? Marcus Blaze joins me in just a minute. I'm Lemba Topic. This is TNT Radio.
Now, TNT Radio News. You are completely obsessed with breaking news. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. The Speaker of the US House of Representatives has taken aim at the House Select Committee for what he says was a one-sided investigation into the January 6 attack on the Capitol. A visibly frustrated Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's taken aim at those who've condemned his country's bombing of civilians in Gaza. And Russian President Vladimir Putin was expected to travel to the Middle East in a rare overseas trip on Wednesday before meeting with Iran's president in Moscow upon his return. The common housefly caught in the clutches of the spider's web. Every move it makes just makes matters worse. Then, dinner time. Feast on the captivating stories, videos, and helpful information on our website. Whoa. Dinner's ready. Oh, man. Escape is futile. Just one more video. Get stuck in our web. TNTradio.live. Greetings. It's just after half past seven, Greenwich Mean Time, which means we're into a comfortable mid-evening phase on the east coast of Australia. Uh, wherever you are, thanks for joining me, Len Potopic, here on TNT Radio, the home of free speech. Now, here's a headline from the Financial Times, which is a fairly respected uh, UK newspaper. Britain needs a way out of economic stagnation. Without a solution, it will be impossible to solve the country's other social and political problems. The article goes on to say that Britain is stuck and compares it to Italy, which has had a much more uh, varied uh, economic performance. But it says that a long list of failures has caused Britain to get stuck. Are we stuck? What can we do about it, if anything? And what's the way out for individuals? Uh, somebody joined, who knows all about all of this is Marcus Blaze. Uh, he's the client's director for Wealth Management Advisory Firm. Uh, Marcus, good morning. Thanks for joining us on TNT Radio. Morning. Tell us about your job first, and then we'll talk about the problem. So I worked in wealth management for 35 years. Um, we look at, uh, we manage client portfolios, we deal with inheritance tax, we set up ta uh, trusts, we work with charities as well. Uh, we do sort of accu um, pension accumulation uh, and, and pretty much encourage people to uh, become financially independent throughout their working life and during their retirement. It sounds to me that the government could be doing not much more to make your job virtually impossible at the moment. What do you make of the current economic situation in the UK? Well, you see, here's the thing. So uh, we, I, I do think that, you know, we've got the COVID inquiry on at the moment. Uh, I, I think people are a little bit uh, tired of hearing about it. Are the lessons to be learned post you know this COVID and having this COVID inquiry? But what it does bring back is that, you know, uh, we went through an amazing change in our in our in the way we lived during that period. But at the same time, the government also supported the country. It supported the country in such a way that we were proud of the way that it supported the country, and that cost money. And then in post uh, post COVID, uh, we had uh, global inflation. The, you know, fuel, if you remember, over here went up to over two pounds a litre um, from about one pound twenty five. So it went up you know, enormously. Uh, global transportation costs went up massively um, and inflation, global inflation flew up. Now, our inflation went up over 10 percent. 
Uh, and in order to counteract that, the Bank of England then raised interest rates as a countermeasure to inflation. They had 14 interest rate rises. Now, that's hit our household uh, um, disposable income because people we've had low interest rates for many, many, many years. And people, unfortunately, just either A, didn't fix their mortgage or B, they just uh, went on to a two-year fixed, which meant that then, or they were on a tracker mortgage, which meant that with 14 interest rate rises, household, household um, disposable income just went. Um, and they were struggling, particularly when inflation was over 10%. Now, the government's target was to get inflation down to uh, in the region of 5% this year. And, um, at, a, at the end of Q3 of this year, uh, I was on the radio and I was asked, do you think they do it? And I was a little bit sceptical. But you know, they've got it down to about 4.7% now. So next year, I think interest rates will reduce, start to come down. Um, that will help in household um, income. And, you know, people are spending more holidays. We've got Christmas. I mean, in this country, we're known for overspending at Christmas, which is great. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, uh, corporation rates are high. Um, you know, businesses are generally seem to be doing well. But we've got to just, uh, you know, we've just got to keep doing the same as we've always done, which is, the, you know, roll our sleeves up and, and put the work in. But the Financial Times doesn't think keeping calm and carrying on is going to pull us out of the mire now. Uh, it says, in fact, uh, uh, we've got to uh, we've had costly diversion from the challenges the country must tackle if it is to remain a prosperous high income democracy. The, the tone of the Financial Times article uh, written by Martin Wolf, who I do respect, is that Britain's got a huge structural problem and it's economy now and not least because we threw half a trillion at covid uh, on an extremely dubious proposition and uh, lots of people excluding myself by the way uh, made a killing with no intention of paying it back so so we've got this mire which governments of any color are is are going to struggle to uh, to fix i i think there's no get rid there's no uh quick fix to this there won't be a quick fix. But then when you look at the uh, the economic cycle, the simple economic cycle that we have, uh, that we always adhere to, you know, we're just coming out of uh, contraction. We're, you know, are we going into a mild recession? Potentially. Um, but then after that, we will then go into the phase of recovery. So when I went to the stock market, the stock exchange last week, we, I went to an Invesco Perpetual seminar and um, they had their top economists there. They were talking about um, the old style, you know, economic cycle uh, of, you know, recovery, contraction, recession. And, and basically they're saying, yes, we could go into a mild recession, but there's, you know, recessions come in all shapes and sizes. But but the point is that following that, they wholly expect the UK then, with interest rates coming down, with inflation coming down, um, bonds, for example, to start performing well next year, uh, and following bonds performing, the equity market will 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 go as well. Um, and we have had three years of um, either moderate growth or just flatline growth in the markets over the last two to three years. Um, I think that when you look at the fundamentals, I mean, we've not got high inflation, uh, sorry, high, high unemployment. You know, our, un our unemployment levels are okay. 
Um, I think when you drive around London, when you drive around business parks, retail parks, they seem to be doing quite well. Now, we have got sectors which uh, are suffering. So we've obviously got things like the Brexit, uh, you know, post-Brexit. That was one of the big things. But, um, you know, we, we are now you know, uh, creating new deals, um, you know, with our, our partners in the European Union. Um, I think it's a little bit of a shake-up time. But, you know, when you look at the unemployment figures, providing we've got low interest rates and low unemployment, then you've got, you know, I mean, okay, the junior doctors today have announced that they're going to go on strike just before Christmas and then just after but that's that's quite a difficult one in terms of you know that yes they've had years and years and years of un underpayments and that's not just going to get fixed you know overnight again that's going to be a two three five year period but I do think that when you, when I drive around you know if we knowing that we've got interest rates that are declining we've got inflation that is coming down the housing market has marginally gone down um but we have a buoyant housing market in the main anyway. And and one of my friends, he's who's an estate agent, he says, you know, I don't care whether the market is up or whether it is down. I will still sell houses. But, and he's absolutely not, right. Not to, but if you can afford to buy a house, loads of people are going to be rent nicks for the rest of their lives now because of the cost of housing. But it's a slightly different problem. Um, Holly is actually challenging whether even the inflation figures are correct. And Red says, supported the country, wrecked it more like, and quite deliberately. A lot of people out there are feeling that they're not in a, an economically healthy position and it's the instability that's bothering them. Uh, what would you say to somebody who's just about managing but falling behind and falling in arrears with their with their mortgages now and saying, well, well I can't just increase my salary by £300 a month. I just can't pay it. Okay. So having done, having been a financial advisor for a long time, there are certain basic things that people need to do. And they are basic, but I bet people are not doing it. I bet the minority are doing it. First of all, go open up a, a, an Excel spreadsheet or get a plain piece of paper, get your bank statement, and work out what your hardcore spending is every month, okay? Now, this is not a difficult exercise, but this will give you a shock value of 10 out of 10. So you go through your last month or your last three months bank statements, and you put down everything that you have to pay for, which is your gas, electricity, telephone, mortgage, rent, council tax, car loans, um, car insurance, petrol, and everything else, right? So put it down, everything that you, 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 you have to pay for every month, okay? That gives you a clear indication as to what your expenditure is. Then, for example, if you have a takeaway every week and it costs you, you and, you and the wife, um, say it costs you £20 a week, then that's £80 a month. Put that down on there, right? So, and then, you, then compare that against what income you've got. Now, that's a very sing, simple litmus test. That tells you how much disposable income you either A, have, or B, don't have. And then you can work to that. So people, but don't forget, people love to have their Sky television. They love to have their mobile phones with this, that, and the other. They love to do more, have more takeaways. You know, and you've got to look at the source of the problem. The source of the problem is where the is government. your expenditure going? <laughs> is what? Um, the government, I'm suggesting. Um, I'm going to have to leave it there. Um, I understand the, the, the idea of doing a budget. Lots of people quite 
dubious. Some people accusing you of a joy killer there. Uh, some, some another fantasist. Somebody says uh, this one. We can uh, continue. We will come back to as well. Uh, I've heard your view. Uh, I'm. I'm also seeing uh, our listeners' views as well. Marcus, thanks very much indeed. That's Marcus Blaze. Um, if you've got a view on that, uh, can you do a cost benefit? Can you just about manage, or are you being squeezed financially in a way? That there's no way out. Let me know at tntradio.live. Coming up next, we're going to be talking to somebody with quite a curious complaint uh, about a gym. Uh, all will be revealed in a minute. But do you really want you want uh, fluid gender uh, when it comes to changing rooms? I'm not sure I'm comfortable with that. All of that with me, Lambitopic, here on TNT Radio. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. These are parlous times for liberty in the United States and for the Constitution and the rule of law. House Republicans have joined with their Democrat colleagues to oust Republican Representative George Santos, only the sixth member to ever be removed from the lower legislative chamber. Three were removed in 1861 after they joined the Confederacy, and the other two following their convictions of the crimes of which they were accused. Santos has been accused of fraud crimes, but not convicted. This is a premature, preemptive strike by Republicans on one of their own, and it sets a dangerous precedent. Now, I hold no grief for George Santos. He seems, quite frankly, like a wingnut, but it's up to the constituents of his district to remove him from office, absent a criminal conviction. This is just one more episode in the long history of Republicans bowing to Democrat will. It seems as though when Democrats win elections, they get their own way. And when Republicans win elections, Democrats still get their own way. This is why we're so upset with the Republican Party. Grow a pair, stand up, and say no to the other side. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. The impact of a meal goes well beyond feeding our bodies. Because when people are fed, futures are nourished. Everyone deserves to live a full life. And with your help, together we can end hunger. Join the movement at feedingamerica.org slash act now. You're with Lembit Opic on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Quarter to eight in the morning in the UK, quarter to seven in the evening in Sydney and Melbourne. Wherever you are in the world, welcome uh, to TNT Radio with me, Lembitopic. Well, our financial uh, di- uh, advisor there has certainly got you chatting. Um, he reckons that with a bit of prudent uh, operation, you can get through. Not many people agree. Spyro Gyro says, I've had a house in the market since August. Only had six viewings so far. Holly says, how are they going to uh, reverse the sitting at home, not really working a contributing outcome that is now such a problem? Uh, Red says, growth, exclamation mark, question mark. Uh, Another uh, comment from Holly, sounds more like robbery and corruption to me. Uh, Chris says, think he's a Euro fanatic. And a couple more here. Um, Basically, let me just have another look. Uh, Dodd says, this bloke is in a dream world. And uh, Holly, oh dear, he's such a joy killer. Well, that's right. If you can't do, if you can't have your curry every every week, maybe you can save enough for your mortgage. Well, uh, 
a lot of you very doubtful about the fact that it is possible to dig your way out of the problem, economic problem, which many say the government has caused, not least by chucking half a trillion pounds at the COVID so-called crisis, shutting down our economy and probably killing more people in the process, as we're increasingly discovering with vaccine injuries and everything that goes with it. Let's go to another malaise in uh, the United Kingdom, wokeness and the fluidness of our gender identity. Now, this wasn't a particular issue when I was a lad. Maybe I'm just out of date. Maybe I was the future once, but not anymore. On the other hand, if you're a parent, you might be a bit concerned about the fact that men can say, I'm going to go into the women's changing room because I identify as a female. Somebody who's had a first-hand experience of this and is campaigning to try to right this wrong is joining us now. It's Emma Hardy. Most importantly, you're a parent as well as campaigner. Good morning. Good morning, Emma. Thanks very much for joining us on TNT Radio. Good morning to you, Lenbit. Thanks for having me. First of all, you're a parent, aren't you? Tell us a little bit about your family. Yeah, so um, in uh, I've got two daughters. That one of them's just turned twelve, and the eldest is thirteen. And um, in twenty twenty one, I decided to become a teaching assistant at the school because I was starting to become concerned about the sorts of things that they were teaching in schools. So I thought I best get my eyes on the case and go in and uh, get a job there and have a look around. So that's what I did, and that was the first time I personally witnessed the confusion with boys identifying into the girls' toilets and the confusion amongst staff, what are the rules, that sort of thing. Tell us, what, how did that confusion manifest itself and where did it come from? So um, the, there was a, a young boy in particular who would use the girls' toilets and it, it appeared that some of the girls were starting to find that this was normal so bearing in mind that they, they have been taught gender ideology in primary school, that you mustn't judge anybody, that you mustn't stereotype and you must accept everybody and, and all of that sort of thing, which all sounds lovely. Um, the practical reality of it means that there's a massive safeguarding concern and that we're teaching young girls and women to ignore their basic instincts to keep themselves safe. So this didn't happen in my... 40-year-old now uh, education, how can it be considered comfortable for teenagers who are probably experiencing all the angst of, of puberty for girls to go into boys' uh, toilets, or I'm guessing more often, boys to go into girls' toilets? Why, why do teachers think that that's not problematic? There are, there are a lot of... Um confused young people and the, the person that I'm remembering um he was you know he was a gentle he was a gentle boy and I think you know people obviously had a lot of empathy towards him he wasn't um he wasn't um taking advantage uh, as such um but obviously it's still totally inappropriate and he he, he should not be in the in the girls changing rooms or toilets it's it's completely uh, inappropriate the, the girls space is for the girls and the boys is for the boys and if you're not comfortable for whatever reason then by all means the third option is the sensible and obvious solution which is the third option yes so yeah provide a, a another option uh, a gender 
neutral uh, facility, but the, it, it's not it's not appropriate to ask the girls to budge over and be nice because being nice in these circumstances are likely to put you in danger, and and that that's not that's not what we want. So let's move on to your campaign and what you discovered with uh, a gym or a fitness uh, chain. Yeah, let's not so, name, let's so not name the chain because I'd need to give it yeah. the right to reply then. But tell us what you discovered. Okay. So after leaving school and, and going on to home education, we, uh, we were already members of a very well-known um, premium family-friendly health club. So we thought, fantastic, we're very fortunate to have that. Um, we'll we'll utilise that for PE lessons and tennis and swimming and all that sort of thing. Um, so I had to ask the question, are the changing rooms, are you doing the same thing, basically? Are you changing the permission without telling me that, that that's what you've done? So I asked the question in January this year, does our family membership include the prospect of our daughters being naked alongside men whilst in, in the female changing rooms? So it what took quite a long time. Yeah, it took Sorry. a long time. It, 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 a lot of, um, if anybody uh, has, has dealt with uh, large uh, health clubs, it can take quite a long time to get a response. Uh, and that was certainly my experience. And it's my personal opinion that they would quite like it if you ask difficult questions that they don't want to answer, that they prefer it if you just got fed up and left. That would be easier for everyone all around. But I'm not like that, Lembit. So I, I kept going and I kept asking, and eventually I, uh, I got to meet with the regional manager, and I now have three letters outlining in black and white precisely what their uh, policy is, and it doesn't match the terms and conditions that I signed. What did their policy? What is their stated policy? If you were able to decipher it, yep. So the terms and conditions available online state that. Children over the age of eight must use the male or female changing rooms according to their sex or the unisex family changing option if it's available. So the word, the key word there is sex. It doesn't mention anything about gender. In the letters that I've received, apparently the changing rooms on the first letter are single sex. Males, may, I, males are not excluded from the female changing rooms people born male. The second letter states that the changing rooms are actually gender specific. And so obviously that's a massive change, um, you know, by, by changing the, the terminology there, that completely changes who, who, has, who has access. And the third letter states that we appreciate there is no prescribed expectation for adults with regard to changing room use. What does that mean? Does that mean I yes. could say I'm going into the female changing rooms? It's a free-for-all, Lembit. That's what it means. And it, in, on any given day, perhaps on a Friday, you might feel differently. You might want to go in, into the men's. You can switch and change and you can pretty much do what you like. So I actually did I did call a few of the uh, clubs last week because I wanted to know what they're currently telling members of the public so I asked the question, just um, do you provide single sex changing rooms? And and they all responded very confidently that yes, we do. And that and that was the end of it. But I asked, do you allow people to identify into the opposite sex's changing rooms? 
So they had to go away and uh, ask the manager and came back and said that, yes, we want everyone to use the facilities that they, they are most comfortable in. That's just insane. Mm. That's insane. Are they aware of why we have separated changing in the first place? Has it ever occurred to them that a teenage girl might not want to be getting changed in front of a 60-year-old man who's identified as a woman? I think I think this is it because obviously when you've got young children, you're likely, you know, you're likely to, to be going in with your children. But mine are uh, an age now where they should be doing things on their own. They should be able to go swimming on their own. They should be able to go with their friends and do things. I shouldn't have to be there. They, you know, so you assume when it says female on the door, and it always has been understood, an unwritten rule that females go in the females and males go in the male. You can't assume that now, Lembit. Everybody, everybody needs to double check and, and start asking these questions. These uncomfortable questions need to be asked. Uh, apparently, in Denmark, they do share changing rooms and showers in high school, but uh, certainly not been the culture in this country uh, others are saying i'm just reading from the messages here uh nonya says i'm so sick of this gender nonsense and uh uh Malibite says uh they're only confused because of the garbage they're fed at school by all these sicko teachers uh Mali Bites didn't read the other one before because it wasn't would have been a bit uh grating to it's funny but a bit grating because what we're talking about at the moment Mali Bites. i wasn't censoring you but there are a lot of people here just um just frustrated and they're suggesting that it's the teaching community that's causing some of this confusion now well it's it's a coordinated um machine because obviously they're getting groomed at school to to accept this nonsense and then when when they leave school and they enter the real world they are faced with situations like this where they're expected to um accept the completely just it's just bonkers it's but the, you know that they've been fed it from a young age that they're actually you know you've been discriminatory if you don't accept it which is completely wrong so that's where my case comes in on the grounds of my sex and my gender critical beliefs that's the the case and also being missold the contract in the first instance what's what are your next steps in the campaign so I've got a I've got a crowdfunder going uh, with Democracy Three, and um, there's also a petition on there. So if you're not if you you know if you're not in a position to donate, then completely understandable. But if you could sign the petition that that uh, states that we would need single sex spaces to be exactly what we expect them to be, mm -hmm. um, I would also just like to point out that. I was offered um, a immediate cancellation of the contract and a one month's refund for the for the for the last month. Now, for a family membership, the three month cancellation period can run into over a thousand pounds. Now, I'm not the only one that's been missold this contract. Every single person that has signed a membership expecting single sex facilities is in the same position so i would urge anybody who felt that they wanted to leave that they would also be entitled to that same package and i would just like to also say that duncan bannatine bannatine gyms do protect women and girls and i would um i would certainly so they, they are showing that it can be done lawfully and legally so why did why why other clubs are doing things differently then that's a choice isn't it um, 
Emma Hardy, thank you. I definitely want to follow how your campaign's going. That's Emma Hardy uh, showing us what seems to me a very worrying development. As a parent myself, I do have something to say about uh, having gender fluid gyms. It's not, oh, sorry, changing rooms, what I mean. That's what I mean there. Uh, thanks very much indeed to Emma Hardy and everybody else. Uh, we've been all over the world today. I'll be back again tomorrow morning at seven. Big thank you to the team and big thank you to you. Keep listening to TNT Radio. Keep coming to the home of free speech. I'm Lemba Topic. This is TNT Radio. Mm-hmm.